Yeah. I am Carol. I have to admit my flaws, so. You know you perfect. <laughs> no, nah, far from it. Far from it. <laughs> oh, I know. It's not always a flaw. The, the older individuals on my juries love the fact that I'm, tall, I'm very loud because a lot of times they strain to hear people, but judges don't necessarily like it because they think I'm yelling at them. So it cuts both ways in a courtroom, unfortunately. All right, as we're getting in this morning, any prayer requests, updates, announcements need to be made this morning? Okay. All right, well, let's go ahead and start off with a word of prayer. Please bow with me. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for another day that you've blessed us with here on this, this world and this earth. God, we're thankful for the time and the period that we can join together in Bible study this morning. The time that you've set aside and given us another breath to be able to open up your word and study from it. God, we ask that you be with us as we go through this study. Help us as we open up your word and further look at what it means to be in Christ and to see the wonderful benefits that we have by being a part of you and your son. God, we're thankful for all the members at Dalreda. We're thankful for all the Christians that, that meet in this city. We ask you please watch over us. Please help us, especially here on this congregation, that we continue to, to obey and follow the things that you want us to do in our lives as we lead the Christians in this location, that we will make the right choices and decisions, that the elders here will oversee our souls and our spiritual lives, and that we will do all things to your glory. God, we ask you to be with those that are sick, especially those among us. Please help them to get better, that they will be able to regain their health so they can continue to serve you and in your service. And Lord, we ask that you be and watch over all of us as we go throughout this next week. Keep us safe as we're beginning this week together. Help us to be able to see each other again next Sunday and be able to join together again. We thank you most of all, God, for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. It's through his name that we pray. Amen. I would encourage y'all, and I just slipped my mind, but I uh, would encourage you to remember my father as he's uh, on his trip in Ukraine right now. Uh, there, there's some of y'all who are on his email list, I guess, but some of you may not since he is, they've moved here and, and Dalrae has assumed the oversight of his work. Some of you may be interested in getting his, his almost daily reports. Uh, when he's over there, he tries to send a report uh, almost every day. Sometimes it's every two days that he sends a report by email, kind of saying what's going on and what he's done and what all is going on there in Ukraine. If you're interested in that, let me know. I can get your email address, and I'll get you on that email uh, report list so that he'll be able to uh, send those, and you'll receive them uh, if you're interested in that. But keep him in your prayers as he's traveling. He'll still be over there for a couple, several more weeks now. Um, as he's going around to the different congregations and areas that he has worked with there and meeting with a lot of Christians, opening up doors for the Lord's church as he's going through his travels. Next week, I won't be here. I'm still looking for a substitute teacher. Uh, so if any of you all would like to volunteer, either volunteer or be drafted. Um, so let me know. I really need a teacher. I totally slipped my mind. We're going to be at last the leaders next week. And uh, so I am not going to be here unless I guess I have to get up early in the morning, Mike, and come on back. But uh, that was not my original plans, but it may end up being my plan. But uh, let me know if uh, you're interested. I've got the outlines for the, the outline for the class. Would love for someone to uh, cover that class for me next week. 
This week, we're going to jump into this lesson, lesson three. We finished lesson two finally last week. Lesson three, looking at the benefits in Christ, the benefits in Christ. And really, this lesson is kind of a continuation of really the last one. The last one, if you remember, we looked at Ephesians chapter one. And Ephesians chapter one lists numerous blessings that we as Christians, those of us who are in Christ, uh, through that submissive baptism and, and that uh, rejuvenation, that that way that we have changed our lives. And so the those of us who are in Christ are able to enjoy certain blessings according to Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul continues through the rest of his book to outline several other benefits that are, are to those who are in Christ. And so that's what I want to look at today, if I can, is try to do an overall survey of a couple other chapters and verses in the book of Ephesians to try and look at these other benefits that Paul outlines for the brethren, for those who are in Christ and hopefully it will help encourage us and challenge us before we jump off into some other books and some other concepts where this phrase is used primarily by Paul, of course, but uh, as we look at and continue our series on in Christ. But what you see, first of all, is that there are multiple benefits. What I want to look at first is chapter 2. So if you want to just go ahead and flip your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to kind of put a stake in it right there for a few minutes. Look at the benefits, what I would call benefits from change. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 22, you're going to see primarily two groupings of benefits from change. And as you read the passage in, in Ephesians chapter 2, there's two things that, that spring out into mind. You're looking about the first, I believe it's first 10 verses. You're going to see a change there of being alive when you were once dead. And so you see that kind of a change, the benefits that come from being alive in Christ. And then you're going to see that second part of the chapter uh, talking about verses 11 through 22, uh, looking at the benefits from, um, I can't remember how, what I titled it now, but I, I think it's the benefits from, uh, oh, alien or, uh, alien or um, member. And if you look in the verses 11 through 22, you're going to see that, um, the, the concept there and the contrast becomes the, the differences between a person being an alien or a foreigner to Christ versus when you're in Christ, you are joined together with Christ. And you really become a citizen and a part of him uh, versus uh, an alien, uh, someone who is foreign, uh, someone who is not a, a part of Christ. So you see that change as well. So I want to look at these benefits from change in these first in these verses in chapter 2. And I want to read the, the first 10 verses before we jump into this first one here about the benefits uh, uh, from change, thinking about being dead or, or being alive. So look with me, if you would, the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you were formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of the fl our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand 
so that we would walk in them. We, we've kind of talked about the decision that God made beforehand for this transformation and for uh, giving us these blessings because we talked about that in the last couple of lessons talking about in chapter 1 how Paul kind of talks about that this was in the foreknowledge of God. This was in God's mind before man was even ever created is the fact that there would be some type of need for reconciliation with God. God knew that man would fall. God knew that, that man would sin and there would be some separation before them. And you see even here in verse 10 that we were... We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And God had kind of prepared this plan of redemption, this plan of salvation. But Paul's really focusing here in these first 10 verses of comparing what we are in Christ versus what we are about a Christ. So think about this real quickly for me. As you think of the first couple of verses there, before we were in Christ, before uh, we were in that position, we were dead in sin. We see that there in the opening verse there. We were dead, verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, we were dead in your trespasses and sins. And so formerly before we were in Christ, dead in sin. We walked, uh, uh, we walked according to the world as the world or after Satan, as you see in these verses here, that before formerly in our lives, our lives really were not patterned after God. Our, pa- our lives were not patterned after Christ. Our patterns were or our lives were patterned after self, selfish desires. Our, that's what the world is, right? Materialistic desires. Or those sinful desires as Satan would want us to have. As, as you see Paul talking to the Ephesians there in, in verse 2, you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's, that's the idea of Satan. That's the idea of sin. And so formerly, the former life, before you were in Christ... You walked in a much different way, in a much different manner. Thirdly, you see that you lived a life or, or you lived in lust of the flesh. You lived in lust of the flesh here in this passage of Scripture. You see where you see that obvious comparison there that, you know, we were wicked. We were living in a, in a way that was not what we know to be according to what God wants when we were not in Christ. And we walked in a way that was uh, the lust of the flesh, which would obviously just lead us down the wrong path, the wrong course. When it talks about walking according to the lust of the flesh, I mean, you just think that's, what, that's a path that you are following. And that's what we were doing beforehand. You see here, the description here is that we were indulgent in desires of the flesh and that we were children of wrath, children of wrath. You know, an obvious contrast of what we know Christians should be. And Paul says to the Ephesian brethren here, before in, you were in Christ, these are what you patterned your life after. These are the things which you exemplify. These are the items of which you checked off on your daily to-do list of things which you were involved. Now, some of us may look at it and say, well, you know, my life wasn't that bad before I became a Christian. You know, maybe you lived a, a pretty clean, moral life. But still, in reality, when you look at the Scriptures, when you look at things that, that Paul is trying to teach to us here in Ephesians chapter 2, there is, a, there is a contrast because of the condition you were in beforehand versus the condition that you are after Christ. And when you become in Christ, obviously you become alive versus dead. And you see that there is a distinctive difference there regardless of what measure of sin maybe you had been involved in before. But that sin being washed away allowed you to become alive versus dead. 
So what you see here in this passage, you see that the benefits of being in Christ, the benefits of change, that change in your lifestyle, the change in your decision-making, the change in the course of which that you walk on a daily basis becomes very distinct for a Christian. In Christ, that change brings about benefits to us. What benefits do we have? Well, we see first and foremost, we are alive in Christ. We are alive in Christ. With Christ, our lives become meaningful instead of meaningless. We have that meaning of Christ within us. And so you kind of think of that idea of verses being dead versus being alive. You know, you think back in the Old Testament, I, I think about this quite often when I read about these miracle stories. You know, whether it's in the Old Testament or even the New Testament, think about all the, the different stories that we, we read about, about someone coming back to life from being dead. That's a concept we don't really necessarily understand today. I think the closest thing we get today, Mike, is probably all those stories when you talk about people going toward the light, and then they, they, you know, you hear the fanciful story about going toward the light, and you know, that came back, and, and, and I, you know, near-death experiences. Now, I want you to closely think of this as near-death. No one ever says they actually died um, and came back to life necessarily. Now, there, there are stories, obviously, where maybe someone coded on a table, and they bring them back to life by, you know, thumping their heart with some electricity, and, and you know, boom, they're, they're, they're brought back to life. And so some, sometimes that's a harrowing ordeal. But think about in the Old Testament and the New Testament, some of these stories you think about, about Christ, or about the, not, Christ was the one in the New Testament bringing him back to life most of the time. And Old Testament, there's some other stories. The widow of Zarephath uh, in the Old Testament um, was at 1 Kings 17. The Shunammite woman's son over in 2 Kings 4 uh, that's going to be Elisha. The other one, Zarephath, is going to be Elijah, bringing those sons back to life. New Testament, you think about the different stories there about someone being raised <coughs> from the dead. You think about the widow of Nain's son in Luke chapter 7, Jairus' daughter in Luke 18, Lazarus in John 11, Dorcas, Acts chapter 19, even Eutychus. Remember, he fell asleep at the window, right? He fell down, died. Paul brought him back to life, Acts chapter 20. Those stories to me are so different and really kind of awe-inspiring. When you think about awesome, that's what I think about is this kind of an idea and these, these miracles of bringing someone back to life, from, uh, back alive from being dead. Uh, Lazarus, he was, in the, he was in the grave for three days. He was dead for three days. And Jesus came and, and spoke and he came forth out of the tomb with the rags still wrapped around him. I mean, can you imagine that experience where with Christ someone just literally came out of his tomb alive where he was obviously dead for multiple days those experiences to me are phenomenal and that change and that condition of that individual would have been literally miraculous in the changes that occurred Lazarus being dead no breath body had probably started decaying to some extent after three days of death, they didn't preserve like we preserve today. And so, you know, he, he was someone whose, whose status and condition was pretty, pretty rough. And Christ raised him from the dead. He came alive back again. The, the breath of life, his spirit, back in his body, and he is able to rise up. In Christ, one of the benefits we have from that changed condition, the benefit from the change of position, is that we are brought alive through Christ. Compare that to these stories in our minds of the raising of the dead. 
like Lazarus, our sin-sick body is dead, spiritually dead. And without Christ, that's the state that we remain in for however long. With Christ, though, our lives spiritually have changed. They are altered. They are increased, I believe, in value because you go from the idea of being dead to Christ to being alive. Think about some of the other benefits you see here in this passage of Scripture. You see that uh, Christ talks about uh, afterwards we enjoy the mercy and the love of God. There you see in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive. We experience, we enjoy the benefits of God's mercy and God's love. A lot of times we want mercy. Let me, I see that plea for mercy every time I enter the courthouse. Uh, when I'm prosecuting an individual, you see it. You see the plea. Please, uh, judge, have, have, be lenient with me. Give me a chance. They don't deserve a chance. You know, they definitely haven't earned a chance. They want a chance. They want leniency. They want a shorter sentence. They want probation instead of being sent off in the Department of Corrections. You know, they are asking for the mercy of the court. They're bowing down and saying, hey, court, please, I recognize your authority. I recognize what you can do, what you have the authority to do. But I'm asking you to go easy on me because I want your mercy. Nothing we've done. See, that's why God approaches us with regard to being in Christ. In Christ, we have the mercy of God extended to us. We have the, the showing of his love to us. You know, John 3, 16, again, one of the most quoted verses. We've already talked about this verse before in this, this quarter, but again, it's very appropriate here. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only son, for us. And so in Christ, we're able to enjoy the benefits of God's mercy and God's love. Paul also talks about the benefit here uh, of thinking about what we have uh, in, in Christ with regard to being, there we go, raised up with Christ. Raised up with Christ. You know, before, it kind of coincides with the idea of love. I mean, with the idea of, of becoming alive when we were once dead. But as we are raised up and as we think about exactly what we are after we're in Christ. To me, raising up is not just the idea of raising to a new life, but here in Ephesians chapter 2, I think Paul is almost talking about raising us up in like exalted and heavenly places. Because you go off and you keep reading here, and, and he talks about the idea, and that's really the next point here uh, in the, the lesson, is the idea that not only are we raised up, but we are in heavenly places. You know, you think about the change that, that occurs and the benefits that we enjoy by being in Christ. It's the, the fact that God reaches down and takes us from a lowly, different, low estate, raising us up to an exalted position because of our faithfulness and our obedience. And he allows us to be in those heavenly places synonymous with Christ. In the end, we're faithful unto death. If we obtain that crown of life, if we go through all those wonderful things that, and, and obtain all those wonderful, wonderful blessings after our life on this earth is over, our place is with God in that heavenly place. Our place is alongside our Savior there as he sits on the right-hand throne of God. You know, you just think about it. You know, we are 
not worthy. You know, I can just, just think about me feeling as though how unworthy that I am. But see, in Christ, God raises me up to a position that I probably should not ever be in anyways. And he also blesses me with the ability to be able to sit there in those heavenly places alongside him. A place of which I'm not really even worthy to be to begin with. But a place of which I enjoy the, the comfort and the love through the mercy of God. Because I'm in Christ. Because we're in Christ, our position changes. And that change brings about these wonderful benefits here of being alive in Christ and being able to serve and to be a part of, of what Christ and what God is. We also see here that when we're in these heavenly places, when, of course, you can talk about heavenly places also even occurring here on this earth, you know, in, in a figurative language way. You know, we are elevated even on this earth to enjoy the heavenly riches while we're on this earth. What are those heavenly riches? Well, we talked about some of those other blessings before. The idea of fellowship and the idea of, of having this togetherness and having uh, the idea of, of Christian edification and all these other benefits that we have that are really heavenly benefits as well because we're, they're, they're spiritual in nature. But you also see here that in Christ, we are enjoying the riches of the grace and the kindness in Christ is what verse 7 uh, indicates to say that, that as the ages to come, we might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. You know, being lifted up and being exalted and being raised to a new life shows us not just love, but the kindness that God has. Now, what's the difference in love and kindness? Well, love is really defined as more of an unconditional situation. Kindness is somewhat situational in my mind, said at least, that you have a, a decision to make of whether or not you're going to be kind as you reach out to somebody. You may still love them, but that doesn't mean you have to be kind to them, right? Um, I think those of us who are married can probably realize that. We still love our wives and husbands, and we may get in spats, and we're not always kind to them, right? Uh, I can say I'm not. Um, you know, it just happens sometimes. I mean, you don't love them. It just means that you've made a bad decision at that point in time. Well, as Christians... What we get to experience is the, the, the blessed decision of Christ to always be kind to us who are within his body. Those of us who have made the choice to follow him and we're able to show and, and convey that same kindness, the riches of his grace that are found in Christ Jesus. And that has allowed us and allows us to live a life uh, that is alive versus a life that is dead. And then we see living a life for good works, living a life for good works. We are his workmanship. And so how wonderful is it for us to be able to go out and make the decisions in our lives that actually show and convey to the world around us who God is? You know, it reminds me of Jesus when he's talking about them being the light of the world. You know, remember that passage? You know, you are the light of this world. You're supposed to go shine that light for all the world to see. Why? So that when they see you, they will see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. You know, you think about that concept, and it ties in beautifully, I think, here with what Paul's saying in Ephesians 2, that in Christ we have the benefit of being the one who speaks and teaches and proclaims who God is. That's a benefit for me. I mean, you know, you think some of the, the choice positions maybe in the world of journalism. 
Some, some would say being like, say, of course, I'm not sure it would apply with the Trump presidency necessarily, because I think it's pretty rough to be in D.C. sometimes nowadays. But a lot of people would say like being the press secretary for the president of the United States is, is a job that a lot of journalists, and a lot of individuals who would like to make an impact in this world, they would say that would be a position that they would be proud of being in. I think even if you talk to the ones that are there now, they'll probably say that as well. I think uh, his current press secretary, I think she's very happy, very proud to be a part of his presidency. It is a position, though, where you speak, you are speaking on behalf of your boss or your employer or your higher up. And as Christians, we really become somewhat of the press secretary, the, the voice of, for God. We become his hands. We become his feet. We become literally his workmanship because those things which we do should be conveying to all the others around us that we are God's people. And because of that, that communication, uh, it is a, an incredible benefit, I think, to us because it encourages our own lives it causes us to stand up and do things that are correct and that are right, like Galatians talks about, doing good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith, that we take our position of being in Christ seriously because the benefits that, that kind of float down for us, the, the trickle-down theory approach of the benefits of being in Christ come to us because we are actively engaged in the work of God. We are his workmanship, and because we are his workmanship, we are created, of course, in Christ Jesus, it says in verse 10, for good works. So in Christ Jesus, we have the benefit, we have the blessing, we have the opportunity to be a part of these good works for God. I hope you see the comparison there, and you see the benefits from change that is described by Paul here in chapter 2 with regard to the change of being dead or being alive. And look at here the, last, the latter part, though, of chapter 2, and you're going to see the other comparison that Paul decides to make to the Ephesian brethren, being an alien or being a citizen, being apart or being apart. You're, those words are always strange to me. You know, people... Um, leading the Lord's Supper, a lot of times you'll hear, uh, especially during the, the, the giving part, uh, separate and apart from the Lord's Supper. We now have a chance to have the giving contribution. I don't know who's leading the Lord's Supper. I hope it's, if it's anybody in here. I'm not trying to knock any phrases necessarily that you may use. But the word, the word or words apart can mean two different things, right? One, one, one distinctive difference, of course, if you are a part of something, that means you are actually together with it. But if you are a part of something, the word together, it's, you're not. You're a part. You're separated from it. So I kind of like, I think it's kind of interesting play on words there. I'm not sure who came up with that, that crazy English language. Um, but uh, you, you have that. But Paul uses that same kind of a mental concept here in the latter part of chapter 2. Of course, it hits a little bit home, I think, more for those in Ephesus. You've got to think of the context of who we're talking to in Ephesians. Uh, could have been a, a Jew or a Gentile. You also had the, the continuing dilemma there of being part of the empire or not a part of the empire, depending on if you were a transplant or not, kind of how you intermixed and how you mingled at the time and that culture, that dynamics. I don't want to get into that too much. But I think if you, if you think about that in your mind, you kind of see how this would resonate, especially with them in, in this era, in this time period, and how when Paul talks about, hey, you're either an alien or you're a citizen— 
It's going to kind of really resonate with them. It's going to make an impact to them. So look real quickly as we read verses 11 through 22. It says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, uh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember, you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But... But, and I put, I put a circle around but, by the way. I don't know if y'all like to mark in your Bibles. I like to do that kind of stuff because it really kind of makes me say, okay, wait a second here. We're seeing a contrast. So verse 11 and 12, that's the previous state. Verse 13 picks up the, the, the current state. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in which the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. I I like this imagery. And, of course, in this kind of immigration-charged world we have right now, you kind of, in your mind, kind of sympathize with the Gentiles to a certain extent, I think. You think about the fact that they were kind of spat upon, they were kind of looked down because they weren't part of the Jewish nation. And in fact, when you look at the church itself, there was always a struggle within the Lord's church between those who were Jews and those who were Gentiles, right? Because you look at the history of the church, the church was brought first to Jews and then was expanded out and all Gentiles were said, hey, you all belong too. But it began first with the Jews. We knew that, right? In Jerusalem, the church was established, Acts chapter 2, to the Jews who had congregated, gathered together there for the census there in the city. And then... And the, also the, the, the spiritual um, celebrations that were going on, I'm not census, the spiritual celebrations with regard to the, the Passover feast and all, the, the, all those feasts that were going on in Jerusalem, all the, 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 the Jews from all around had gathered in Jerusalem and had, had joined together. The church began with this group. They felt privileged. They felt as though they were the chosen, which they were, the chosen people of God. I'm not going to dispute that in the Old Testament. And God always preserved a remnant to bring his son through that. But the Gentile world was just as included as the Jews. And it took some time, as you read through the New Testament, to see of the acceptance of that. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, one of the biggest debates in the first century church was, hey, do Gentiles have to first become Jews before they become Christians? You know, is there like an additional step there for those who aren't Jews? You know, they have to become part of the Jewish, that they have to be circumcised to become part of the church physically? Well, you see the parallels and you see really the concentration and focus throughout some of, a lot of Paul's writings to try and clarify the fact that there's no need for a, a physical circumcision anymore. And in fact, the spiritual circumcision kind of comes over and becomes so much greater. And that physical circumcision is the, the actions that bring us in Christ. 
in Christ. So you kind of see how this all melts and, and joins together here. Well, Paul's using this same imagery here and this same uh, conflict, this same issue to bring home the fact here that when we were, before we were in Christ, before we, we enjoyed the wonderful benefits and blessings, that we actually were in a state all in very similar situations. That before Christ, we were separate. Before Christ, before we were in Christ, we were at war with God's people. Before we were in Christ, we were excluded from the nation. Before we were in Christ, we were strangers to the covenant or to the promise. Before we were in Christ, there was no hope. Before we were in Christ, we were without God. And you think about this state and this status that the individuals experienced. And again, he's talking mainly to Gentiles here, so it's really ringing home to them the fact that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called the uncircumcision, were in this position and in this place. You had this mindset that you experienced all these things. And so you know what it means to be without something. You know what it means to be a stranger in a foreign land because even though you lived amongst these people, you still felt like strangers because you were excluded. And Gentiles, you, you thought before in Christ, you know, you were all these things, and then, which is true, you were. You, you had a different relationship with God than you do after you were in Christ. And as he's talking to the Christians here in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 2, he was talking about in verse 12, remember, at that time you were separate from Christ. Remember, you were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, God's chosen people. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. Remember all those covenants of promise in the Old Testament, whether it was Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or any of the other patriarch, the, the common uh, promises handed down even through the years by God's prophets in the Old Testament. You were excluded from those prophecies. You were excluded from those promises, the spiritual uh, salvation that was to come because you were Gentiles. You were foreigners. You had no hope without God in the world. You know, think about that situation. That placement and that kind of lack of hope. No. If you don't have hope, it's kind of like you just might as well just give up, right? I mean, those are the people that we see just kind of get, throwing their hands up in frustration and just say, I'm done. I'm out. Because they have lost all hope. And that's what Paul says the Ephesians were like before they were in Christ. That formerly they had this life. And before they had Christ, this is what they experienced. This is what actually occurred this is quite literally and spiritually the condition that they were in. They were separated from Christ. You know, I kind of see sometimes, and I think that's maybe why he used multiple examples here, that some of the Jewish Christians would read this and think, well, hey, you know, we're, we were okay. But no, you know, Paul keeps saying time and time again that, that this is the dividing point for all men. For all men, we previously talked about it here, about being dead or being alive. I mean, that's going to apply universally here, a little more specifically to the Ephesian congregation that was primarily Gentiles at this time. You see here the idea that, that God is trying, to, I mean, that, that God wants to convey to them through Paul that without Christ, without, without being in Christ, without being a part of God's people, they were really in, in a place that was very sad because they did not they did not have 
the benefits and blessings of being a citizen, of being a part of something. In our world today, if you're an immigrant and you're coming, trying to come into this, this country, uh, whether you're illegal or not illegal, it doesn't matter ultimately which one, there are some benefits you're not going to be able to enjoy because you're not a citizen. You're not a part of this country. And I know there's a huge debate in this world because you have a lot of sympathizers who think we should just extend freely all those benefits. I'm one who don't, and I'll be glad to debate you all day long on it. There, there should be some, something about being a citizen of a country that defines us and divides us and gives us special benefits because this is my country. And if you don't have a possession of a country, uh, you really shouldn't have all the full benefits in that country. And I don't mean we, we treat them badly, treat them poorly. But there are certain benefits about being a part of a group. There are certain benefits about being a part of a certain organization or being a, a part of a certain employee, employment. Uh, you, know, you have certain benefits, certain blessings because of that position of being a part of it. Well, what Paul's saying here is that before you were in Christ, you did not enjoy all those benefits and blessings. In fact, uh, what you see is the aftermath of Christ. After you are in Christ, your life changes from being someone who is an alien, someone who's a stranger, to someone who is a citizen, to someone who is familiar, someone who is a part of that group. In this case, we're part of, of God. We're, we, because we are in Christ, we are a part of, of who God is. And so after we are in Christ, we are brought near by the blood of Christ, is the way Paul explains it here. He talks about that, that we have been brought near by the blood of Christ, verse 13. That becomes what invites us in. That, that blood allows us entrance into that position of being a citizen of God and His kingdom. We see that as... Afterwards, after we're in Christ, we are able to experience peace instead of the enmity, instead of the exclusion, instead of, uh, of not being a part of that covenant of promise. We are actually able to, uh, to enjoy the peace that passes all understanding, right? That's what later Paul talks about it, a peace that passes all understanding because we have that benefit of being a part of Christ, when we are in Christ, we become a part of Christ. When we are a part of Christ, we become a citizen of God's kingdom. And by being a true citizen instead of some stranger, instead of some alien to that kingdom, we enjoy the wonderful blessings that peace provides to us. We have one group. We are joined together. And those barriers are brought down. I remember the video. I was quite young, I know, when the Berlin Wall came down. But I remember the videos. And I still have seen news footage over the years as they talk about that. I remember when the figurative Iron Curtain came down. There was not a literal Iron Curtain, but when that Iron Curtain from the Soviet Union kind of came down and all these countries started breaking away from this uh, totalitarian communistic regime, you know, you, you, you remember that time period and you remember the freedom that was brought to those people. In this situation here, with regard to our sins, with regard to our disunity, when we are in Christ, what we are able to enjoy is a solidarity among all those that are common believers. But more importantly, we are able to be a unified body with God. With God. And that's, that concept to me is it's a hard one for me to grasp, that I can be at one with God even as a create, creation of the Creator that I can still become unified. But that's what Paul explains it as here is that, 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 that broken down barrier, verse 14, he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. 
the groups are joined together. And God unifies us in that belief and in that position of being in Christ. And we are reconciled with all by the cross and by that very promise of which we may never have had a part of to begin with. You know, when Christ extended salvation to the Gentiles, when, when God said to Peter to go and to preach to Cornelius, when, when Paul went and, and spoke and preached among all the Gentiles in, in Asia Minor, what you see is the extension of God's borders of his kingdom being offered to those who were not originally included at its inception. Well, I say they were included in the plan, but at the point of inception, they weren't part of it because they weren't there at Jerusalem today in Acts chapter 2. So what you see is the, the expansion of God into this world so that all can be a part of things. And so that what all can, can understand is that we are reconciled and brought back together by the same promise that at one point in time did not necessarily apply to us. Because if you look back at the prophecies, if you look back at the, the, the real promise in the Old Testament as it's been given and it's passed down from generation to generation of the Jews, and as that remnant was preserved throughout all the time period there and the, what we would call the Dark Ages and those times of tribulation and, and all those times of persecution and enslavement, the, that, that promise that was passed down down ultimately all became a part of the promise but we all became a part of that promise when we were in Christ we were able to enjoy that reconciliation because of that ultimate promise given to us so at one point as Paul says we were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope our life has changed instead of being a stranger we are now a part of it Instead of not enjoying or, or being ex excluded from the covenants of promises and being a stranger to that covenant of promise, we are, are now justified and reconciled by that promise as we are in Christ. And so what we see in, in Paul's communication here to the Ephesians is that there is wonderful benefits, there are wonderful blessings for us to be a part of uh, these things in Christ. And then ultimately... The last two things that I wanted to point out here is Paul, and you could get into this. I don't have time. We could spend a whole multiple lessons on this. But you see the access to the Father granted to those who were in Christ. Formerly, you were strangers. Formerly, you weren't a part of it. Formerly, you didn't have that access to our Father, which is in heaven. However, what you see as being a blessing and a benefit of being joined together here in Christ is that we actually have this, this ability to be able to approach and to be able to have a close relationship and to have uh, the ability to be able to reach out and have access, as verse 18 says, to the Father, to the Father. In Christ, it says, in Christ, and through Him, we both have our access to one Spirit, in one Spirit, to the Father. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. You know, we don't have to be fearful. We don't have to think that we are blocked from going to the head of the house any longer. When we're in Christ, when we're a part of his household, we have that access to him. We can enjoy the benefits of going to our Father and asking him for things that we need, telling him what our concerns are, Casting all of our cares upon him, right? That's what Peter says for us to do. We have that access to our Father. 
through Christ. No other way. No other access. It really reminds you to Jesus and what he said. You know, he, multiple times throughout the Gospels, I am the way, the truth, and the light. I am the door. I am the door. There's no other way to God except through Christ. And in Christ, when we walk in that door, we enjoy the wonderful benefits of approaching our Father, gaining access to Him who created us, who loves us, who shows His infinite mercy toward us, and be able to enjoy that as a citizen of His household. We also see that we ultimately have a dwelling place for God and the apostles and the prophets when we're in Christ. We become the habitation of God in a real extent. Have you ever thought of that? You know, Paul in Corinthians talks about two different places, about us being the temple, our bodies being the temple of God. One is a collective. I don't know if you've ever studied this or not, but one of them saying you are the temple of God is actually a collective use of the word you. So it's as though he's talking to the whole congregation in Corinth and saying you collectively, you as a body of believers, you as a congregation in Corinth are the temple of God. God dwells in you. Later on, I believe it's chapter 14, he talks about you being individually. You being individually are the temple of God. Well, Paul also says here in Ephesians that with us, when we're no longer strangers, when we're part of God's household, it's been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. One of the benefits that we have is to being a temple of God in Christ Jesus. We are able to embody those things which God needs, God loves, God desires in the place where He is. And so as Christians, we can see, I think, that there are some really glorious benefits that we have uh, from the, uh, the different distinctions here in chapter 2 and, and really enjoy the benefits of being in Christ versus being out of Christ. We'll continue here next week. Thank you so much for your kind attention.